Okay, Parashat Lech Lecha is on page 54. It's Bereshit Perek Yod Bet. We'll start at the very beginning and then backtrack a little bit, push a little bit forward, but I'd like to de- develop a particular and specific theme. And the theme would be, in a sentence, and I think it's a lesson that's being taught in a very careful and sensitive way by the Torah, how to establish a good name. And a good name, of course, could be translated as so many things, but the Torah will have... I think if we pay careful attention, we'll notice this. We'll have a lot of an emphasis on a name. And a good name or a big name will be easily defined as someone who's successful, someone who's lived up to their potential. I think if we read it carefully enough, the Torah is seeking to contrast Avraham with the people around him in his approach of what it means to achieve a good name or a great name. So with that, the first pasuk in the parasha, Vayomer Adonai el Avram, Lech lecha me'arsecha umimoladtecha umibetavicha el ha'ares asher areka. This, of course, the famous command, the initial nisayon to Avraham of lech lecha, of leave your father's household, leave your birthplace uh, to the land which I will uh, show you. Ve'eschal legoi gadol vavarecha vagadela shemecha. Those, are, of course, are the words I want to focus on most for a moment. Ve'heye beracha. So the promise of God to Avraham is that through this travel into the unknown, through this journey into the abyss, into a place and a domain that he's unfamiliar with, that's where I will make your name great. So I'd like to, for a moment, to pause and reflect on those words again. Your name will become great by means of me, through listening to me, by detaching from all that you know, from entering into a vulnerable, unexpected, unknown land and place. That's the description. It's a little bit surprising. It comes with the promise of God, but it's not exactly the way I would imagine making a great name, generally speaking. We make great names when we assume that we're in control of our destiny, when we are able to wrap our head around uh, the securities that lie therein and the circumstances and situations that lie ahead. Instead, the promise of God to Avraham, ironically somewhat, is, I'll make your name great by following my word into a world which is unknown. The truth is, just taking a step back, again, that's the heading, that's, the, that's what I'd like to revolve around over the course of the class, a great name through entering into the unknown, or alternatively, well, alternatively, let's take a, a look just at last week's parasha at the very end. There's a famous difficulty that many of the Farshim struggle with, which I've thought about more than once. I'd like to suggest yet another interpretation to uh, what seems to be a blatant contradiction or difficulty in the text. On page 52, at the end of Parashat Noach, the end of Perek Yod Aleph, the Pasuk says, at the top of the page there, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, et Avram beno vet lot ben haran ben beno vet kalato eshet Avram beno itam kasdim. So here's Terach, the father of Avram, gathering Avram and many other family members, going with them, lalechet, Arsa Kenan, and they're on their way to Kenan. They, of course, stop in a place called Haran, but they were already on their way to Kenan. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating discrepancy and a glaring difficulty. What was the challenge to Avraham then? The challenge from God to Avraham is go to the land that I'll show you. Of course, he's going to show him to Kenan, but he was already on his way to Kenan. 
So there are many interpretations. Ramban and Ibn Ezra struggle with this difficulty specifically. Was the command that's recorded at the beginning of Lech Lecha really said beforehand? And we're only reading it later. That was the heading. They were on their way. And by the way, let me tell you why. Is it alternatively they stopped in Haran because his father died there and the challenge was uprooting himself from there? But maybe, I think my father shared this idea with me like, 15 years ago, maybe very relevant to the vision and perspective of who Avraham was of this challenge of making his name great through finding a certain uncharted land, through entering into the unknown and discovering it independently. Maybe alternatively it goes like this, to make it very community relevant, because in this, this thought I think is so relevant to so many lives, I guess I'll keep it on the male side for a moment, it's easier for me to speak in that way. Imagine there's a family business, and imagine your husband, your, your, your son, your, someone else enters into the family business. Now entering into a successful family business will guarantee, for all intents and purposes, if things stay on track, success. But are they maximizing their potential at being successful by just entering into the business and following in the tracks of their father and grandfather and uncle and brothers who had done it before them? So the answer, I think, is simply no. Does that mean that they won't make money? It means they will. Does it mean that they won't actualize themselves? It does. Does that mean, therefore, they need a different business? I think not. Avraham... I think is the paradigm of someone who says, in the Torah's words, his father was already leading the family to Canaan. God pauses him and says, Avraham, lech lecha, go and make this your own journey. Step into the same family business. Be involved in the same things that you've, in a family unit, been doing until now but make this your own. Can you do that? Because it'll be comfortable, and I'm not gonna deny the comfort of knowing your surroundings, but find your own personality in it. So it goes from Parashat Noah, where it's Vaikah Terah, Who's gathering them? Who's spearheading the journey? Who's the trip planner? Uh, that's, that's Terah. That's the father of Avram. Parashat Lech Lecha, it continues that journey, which he was already on, but God stops him and says, Abraham, instead of just following your father here, continue on that journey. Don't, don't step out of the family business, but make it your own. It means that this journey to, again, that agadela shemecha, that greatness of name, ironically, is not achieved through um, just stepping into the known area where you know there's success and you'll easily achieve it. It's on that same mission, I'm not going to take you off of it, but make it your own. Discover on your own if you can glean, if you can grow in some way from the world around you. Take your own comfort zone out of this and instead jump into a reality, a circumstance where maybe I'll be able to specifically grow because it's unfamiliar, because it'll be my own. The Torah, I said, will toy with this great name in many ways, I want to move a little bit further backwards. A little bit further backwards brings us to Perik Yod Aleph on page 48. Page 48, Perik Yod Aleph, is the precursor to the life of Avraham. But let's just for a second just get our balance again. It means that Avraham's journey, according to the Torah, begins at the age of 75. At the age of 75, go to the place that you're un- you don't know about, walk there, You'll have a great name through doing so. 
In contrast to, I'm suggesting already, just continuing on your father's journey. But it's my father's journey. It's a good journey. It's the same place. That's right, but make it your own. This is all in stark contrast to, I think the Torah wants us to see it this way, the societal norms of the time. The way that people, until today, assume greatness is achieved through comfort, through understanding, through knowing that I'll put my trust in something that I can trust without taking risks, without leaping into the unknown, and that's how I'll achieve greatness. And I refer to specifically the story of Migdal Bavel. This is the story in Perek Yod Aleph. It's a story in which the Torah begins and says, Vayikola aretz safa ahat udvarim ahadim on page 48, and says that uh, the whole land was speaking one language. We have to return to that clue. Everyone speaks one language, one way. But we kind of already understand that, don't we? Isn't it easier to talk the same language as everyone else instead of being your own person speaking differently? Isn't that the easiest, most stable way to live a life? Won't you achieve a great name through just doing what's already proven as the successful mode and method? It's Avraham, I'll remind you again, who's in this week's parashah described as Avraham Ivri, and the rabbis understand Ivri as being from the other Ever, on the other side of the river. He's an iconoclast, he's an extremist in that respect, being different than everyone else, separating from them. But again, our tendency is to always be involved with others, always speak the same language, see things the same way as them. That's what I think is developing over here. So the same language is already, it's a symbol, it's a sign for us to say the world was seeking stability. It came sometime after the Mabul, I always say, after the flood. It's a world in which you're trying to rebuild. How do you rebuild? Take the easy way. Don't get into... Uh, rickety beginnings, make it sturdy, make certain everyone talks the same way, everyone thinks the same way. That's how we'll achieve something. It's dangerous to think otherwise. They're traveling from the east. They found some valley, some, uh, some indented ground. One person says to the other, tells us the Torah, and they begin constructing, uh, it tells you about how they construct something. What do they, go ahead. If they didn't decide to rebel against Hashem, and if they had one common goal... How about this? Them. I'm sorry to cut you off. How about this? It never says they rebel against Hashem no, in the text. Why do we teach it like that? The Hachamim envision it like that. My suggestion is that is a rebellion against God. When we seek the easy life in which my great name will come because I'll just follow what's proven already, that is going against our mandate as human beings. To be a Tzelem Elohim means we mimic the way of God, means we have a creative capacity which we use to discover and to search. That's what I believe. I believe that's that, that I believe their rebellion is Erica, the decision to stability. Stability is what the name of the game is. Now, there'll be also a certain self-centeredness that comes with it, but I think it's one and the same. I don't... Oh, I didn't get up to that. You're ahead of me. That's, that's the next... That's what's coming right now. We want a city with a citadel whose head goes up to the heaven. So the citadel already, in, in the commentary of Nitziva Velazhin, he suggests... He's ahead of his time in this, I guess he knew about it. He said maybe it's some sort of watchtower. 
and it's a watch how there was almost a totalitarian government. Almost everyone's doing the same thing. That was the purpose of the Migdal. Alternatively, Erica, it's a Migdal, which is, uh, is a ziggurat, which is some sort of temple for worship. But the Torah leaves out that detail. If that's really what underlies it, well, you know, that's what you should tell me. Instead, the Torah makes this something a bit different. It's about the conformity. They were afraid of... Of, of dispersal. Hang tight. Okay, there's your words. We'll make our name. Oh, and that's the theme of the class. We'll make a great name for ourselves through stability. We're going to all act the same way. There's nothing to be nervous about. We'll all just follow the same thing. There's nothing to be, I, you know, I know exactly what to expect. Because I fear dispersal. I'll have a strength in being clustered together, we'll build a city, we'll have predictability, we'll live a life in which we have a great name. And they probably quote unquote would in the traditional conventional sense. That's a great name. It is in the way you're articulating it. The Torah doesn't say it. The Torah says we want to make a really tall citadel up to the heavens. You're saying that it's confronting God. I'll tell you why it's confronting God. Because again, if I'm not willing to jump into something outside of myself, well then I'm denying the viability of a relationship with God. That's a vulnerable relationship. I don't know about him. There's a lot of unexpecteds there. There's a lot of uncertainties. If you say, I'm only doing that which I see, and I touch, and I know, and I'm able to predict, you're rebelling against God. I mean, effectively you are. So whether it was actually a citadel in which they planned on, again, I, I don't know, cultures and minds of that time, they're going to take knives and fight against, I, I don't know exactly. But alternatively, just the, the mention of strength and Na'aselanushem is the key line, is we'll make for ourselves a great name. I think, you know what the, not proof, you want to know what the, 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 the hint to this is? God doesn't kill them. God kills, he wipes out the mother. Why didn't he wipe them out? He, that's true. But he, he said, I won't wipe out the whole world. Is this the whole world? A lot of it. Okay, regardless. Uh, so maybe it's, uh, so why doesn't he strike them with a plague or something like that? Instead, he changes their languages. He changes their languages because he encourages them to not understand one another. That's right. He wants them not to be able to understand one another. He wants them to struggle. Could be. I don't know. I don't know if that's such a mention. It's a good question. That's as if that detail was significant. Oh, so that's, that's, that might be the claim against you. The valley might alternatively, if, if you take the Nativ's vision, we got everyone gathered in this low area. It's harder to climb out. And then you put a citadel, you really could see everything. That really might be that angle. It reminds me, this, this story and, and maybe this angle on it, I read a book once by, there was an, a, a great American psychologist, his name was Carl Rogers. He writes in a book of his, if I remember correctly, I think about it every time I think about Migdal Bavel, how he, pre he performed this like uh, social experiment uh, when he was on one of, his, uh, one of his lecturing tours in Brazil. And uh, if I remember correctly, he gathered some like 800 people into a room and he had a plan. Now my cynical side says he didn't want to give a normal lecture so he just did this plan. Alternatively, he was mindful about this. He told them or they believed they were gonna hear him lecturing 
And instead, they walked in and they handed out microphones, and each person could talk their mind, if I remember the details correctly. And there was a panic in the room. We're not here to speak our minds. We just want to hear what you have to say. And a woman, if I remember correctly, he describes, gets up and says, I'm here, I paid to hear the expert on psychology of our generation. I'm finished. You're wasting our time making us talk to one another and say silliness. And then one person stammers through and another person's hesitant and so on and so forth. Until someone at some point has the courage to say something meaningful and this conversation ensues. And a meaningful conversation which is constructive and deals with issues of some sort or another emerges from it and he, I think very relieved that the experiment was successful, walks away and says, you assumed, and I think he writes this in his book, we assumed that we needed some sort of external unifying force. You needed me to tell you the truth. You needed to be able to step in and hear it and write it in your notebook and walk away and say, this is the truth. This is the psychological norm. And when I'm struggling with this situation, let me open my book and determine what the reality on the ground is or should be. Alternatively, it can emerge from within. We can have this intrinsic growth. We can have a growth in which we struggle through it, so to speak. We don't speak the same language. To a certain extent, it's difficult. It's vulnerable. I don't have the answers. But that's how some of the greatest growth, if not all the greatest growth, will actually emerge. The self-made person oftentimes is the person who's been through life experiences, understands who they are and where they came from better than anyone else, and in turn can, even in the commercial sense, make more money, can in turn inspire others, can live a wholesome life, because they weren't just born into it because they achieved it, because they struggled. So the Avraham difficulty in turn is manifested so much more so because Avraham's, so to speak, father was already on his way. Stay on the path of your father. Stay within your family and community's norms, but still search for something independent. Don't search for another community per se. You don't need to run away from your family, but find within it something that's unique, something that's your own search. It's in stark contrast to that episode that we're introduced to Avraham. Because Avraham, right after this, is Vaikah Terach, Terach, and they go, they're walking. What was Migdal Bavel doing? Situating. What was their fear? Penafuts will be spread out. And where are they going? They're traveling. Where's Avraham traveling? I don't know. You can't find more vulnerable, less stable than that. And in the midst of it, the Torah plays with this name business. Their perspective was, Na'aseh lanu shem. What's Avraham's promise? Va'agadela shemecha, come on. You're gonna make my name great? Name, great names is through success. I'm gonna be successful? I'm gonna be walking around and searching for something and seeking and not knowing throughout. That's how you're going to achieve a great name. It's no irony, I think, that the Torah on page 50 in the latter part of Perik Yod Aleph, without reading any of it, but just the first words, Ele Toledot Shem. What comes right after Migdal Bavel? The lineage of a person whose name was Shem. Shem is name. This is all about name. I think the Torah is, is screaming at us. It might say it implicit, it might be an implicit scream, but you're supposed to pay attention to how you're supposed to say. So this was about a great name. A great name is, so to speak, a defiance of God, because I believe I can't find it outside of me, can't establish a relationship and find a world that lies outside of myself. But the trick is about being able to say about myself, it's not about me. And, and in turn, God's words to Avraham returning to them again is in stark contrast to Migdal Bavil, they said, we'll make for ourselves a name. Stability. We'll get that. 
They have promised Avraham is, I'll give you the great name Avraham. It will come from outside. That's an amazing thing. It's, it's, it's generally speaking, our assumption will achieve this when we know where we're going, when we realize what we're doing. In any growth situation, just give me a certain, God, this class was so for you, I didn't even realize how much it was for you. He has to go now, he has to. The vulnerability, the realization that you don't, but it wasn't on purpose. Um, and so, um, but, but I, I really believe that's, that's the message throughout. In truth, in even the literal sense, the end of Parashat Lech Lecha, at the time of the Berit Milav Avraham, immediately beforehand, God changes his name. He has a Berit Milah, he establishes a covenant vulnerability, taking a part of his body at an old age off of him in order to establish that covenant, that Berit with God. And then Sarah's name is changed as well. In the literal sense, their names are changed by God through an entrance into the unknown, into a zone which diminishes my strength, into a situation where I, I don't feel so confident with myself, where I realize that maybe I don't have all the answers and I shouldn't have all the answers. I've wondered as well, it's in the midst of doing a birit milah. I've wondered whether there's a play with that as well, because the word milah means word, and Migdal Bavil was all about that speech, but I'm not certain whether there's something really to be made of that, but I, I really believe that is um, this life of Avraham. The truth is, I've read more than once that some of the linguists, the Jewish linguists, play with these words, Eretz and Shamayim. Migdal Bavil were building a tower which would reach Shamayim. Avraham is lech lecha me'arsecha. Avraham's whole life is about this aretz. El ha'aretz asher arevka. It's heaven versus earth. Uh, you have Yaakov where heaven meets the earth and there's a message in it of itself over there. Avraham focusing on what he can do in this world and they somehow thinking outside of it. Furthermore, think about the roots of those words. Shamayim and aretz. Aretz seems to be many of the Ancient Jewish linguists, Hebrew linguists say, it's milashon ratz, it's you run on ground. Avraham is about movement. Shamayim, in contrast, is shamayim. It's this ancient vision from the Torah that up there there's water, this up there, static water, no movement. So, in other words, the Migdal Bavel individuals were searching and seeking stability, shamayim view. Avraham, anything but that. It's in truth, and we say it, all the time, every year. It's the challenge that he... Mayim is, oh, interesting, Shem, interesting. Uh, Mayim is fluid, but it's a reference to Sham Mayim. Keep in mind, it's the upper firmament where it kind of gets stuck. There's a separation between upper and lower waters where we lost a certain fluidity. Right, God can you know, bring it down, but it's envisioning it as there as opposed to something I'm moving toward. It's something that's more static, at least, in that respect. Um, it, it, is, it is Abraham's relative, Lot. Uh, without reading the Pesukim inside for the moment, Lot is together with Avraham on his journey throughout. They go into Egypt and all of a sudden they separate. What, what happened? They come out and the Lot is finished. For what reason? If you read the Pesukim carefully, Lot raises his eyes and he sees in Sedom a place that's just like Egypt. Because for Lot, he sees stability. It's Kula Mashke. It's a ground which is already fertile. There's no movement 
There's no discomfort. There's no search. That's my great name. My great name will come from a life in which I do as the others do, which has proven success in the past, and it will be successful in a wealth sense. Lord, the, la- the laugh is on him because we see. You know, he does. Ironically, he's the one who has no stability, and Avraham's the one who comes and redeems him. But that notwithstanding, even if Lot finishes his life with wealth, he still failed. He failed. He fell prey to the stability of Egypt, to the Migdal Bavel vision. Avraham is the iconoclast. He's the one who's breaking this mold. It means the parashat lech lecha, the life of Avraham again and again and again is describing to us how to achieve a great name, as I see it. In truth, in truth, at the very onset of the parashah, on page 56, there's yet another mention of name, if I'm not mistaken, here. Pasuk Chet, on page 56, Perek Yod Bet, Pasuk Chet. Vaya'atek misham hahara. Keep in mind, Avraham has no idea where he's going, no idea when he's stopping. He's just moving, and God's going to tell him when to stop. And he's moving, and he stops, and God appears to him. He's in a particular place. He builds an altar. He declares, he speaks out the name of God. He projects this outwardly. He'll never accept his own name. So much so that he won't accept other people establishing their name. That comes later in the parasha. Remember the war? There's the war of the kings and Avraham goes and he redeems Lot. Back to that story. The war finishes and the king of Sodom wants to give Avraham money. wants to reward him with something. He says, I'll take the souls and you take the money. You can have whatever you need. And Avraham says, absolutely not. Because you'll say, king of Sodom, that you made me wealthy. When in reality... God made me wealthy. God is going to be the one who will establish my name. I can't and won't achieve it through your gifts. You won't establish it through that. This will have to happen somewhat organically in my relationship with God. It's the life story of Avraham through and through. His words then are not trite and stale. His words when he says in next week's parasha that he's afar va'efer, that he sees himself like the dirt of the, of the ground, he really does, it seems to me. He really has come to this humility, this state of being humble to the extent that I'm not stable in my own sense at all. I, I don't know what tomorrow's going to be. I have a certain trust in another, that being God. I have a certain seeking and searching throughout. I'm gonna continuously move and seek and search. That humility that, that's born out of such a life, so to piece it together for now, again, the vision is one in which Migdal Bavel people, let's establish for ourselves a name. How are you going to get a name? Stability. We'll be together. We'll have a certain haughtiness because we'll achieve our own name. That in and of itself is a rebellion against God. Avraham, the antithesis, the movement, the searching, the seeking, the not knowing, the never settling down, the breaking with father's path, even if he's going on the same one, the realization that I need to make my own, the lech lecha, find this on your own, Avraham. Don't just be holech, be lech lecha, the aretz, the ritza, the searching and seeking throughout his life, realizing that that's his growth, the misunderstanding of the story with Carl Rogers and the story of Migdal Bavel, realizing that growth will come from that struggle, you can't not become a humble person through that. You can't not end up as afar va'efer. When you spend your life looking outside, 
when you spend your life realizing that my own stability is a facade and I, I don't actually have stability and if I do feel stable, I need to search for the next challenge and I need to find another situation where I don't feel as safe, not physically, in my own emotional and psychological wherewithal, uh, so then how could you possibly say about yourself that you're someone special? It's a, it's a message that I've been inspired to more than once from great people I've come in contact with who do seemingly see a world of people and more specifically of God outside of themselves instead of seeing anything in themselves. And that, I believe, is their method for growth. I just recently read a book from Rabbi Avishai David. He's from Yeshivat Torah Shraga in Israel. And so he, it's, it's many stories about many rabbis who influenced him over the course of his life. So one of the rabbis is one of my father's rabbis as well. His name is Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. And so he tells the following story about Rabbi Lichtenstein. He says that he went to him on more than one occasion, three occasions, to ask him about, this is not a halakha class, so don't take it that way, about entering on, that's also not the right time for this, on Tahar Habayit in uh, Yerushalayim, going to the places where some religious Jews do go to for whatever reason, for spiritual reason, for political reason, he doesn't say his intention. So he went and asked the rabbi, the first two times the rabbi really said to him, my father-in-law is against it. And the third time he says that the rabbi shuddered a little bit and said, to be honest with you, irrespective of you know what the halachic determination, I could never do it myself. So he says, why not? He says, because I'm not a worthy person of that. He says, me, I have moraha mikdash. I have fear and awe of the place of the beta mikdash. That's not the type of person. And he said it with such an earnest authenticity that Rabbi Yavishai David says he walked away inspired. In other words, his statement wasn't a halachic statement. His statement was, well, you think I have the audacity to walk into a place which is the sanctified of places? That's not the type of person I am. Again, talking about me saying such a story, you'll roll your eyes. Talking about a person who was as great, and I mean it like Rabbi Lichtenstein, you're talking about a person who knew the whole Torah, who lived a life of honesty. I have several personal stories in which his honesty really shined forth. And I, I called him once in a situation in a bind. It was my father's rabbi about something to do. I was living in Israel with regards to bituach uh, le'umi. It had to do with insurance or whatever. And I called him right before Rosh Hashanah. And like, you know, he wouldn't talk to me. I was asking, could I do something a little dishonest? And he slammed, didn't slam, wasn't that angry. He almost hung up the phone on me. Like, how could you even think? Like, he was surprised. A, a Ben Torah will even ask such a question? Oh, that's the type of person I, uh, I'm not worthy of that. I, it's for me an inspiring story. The, the, the relatable story as well that I've told more than once, a story that was published in an op-ed in the New York Times by Howard Schultz. He told it, Howard Schultz is the, the head of Starbucks for many years. He told it about another rabbi that I was influenced by. It was Rabbi Finkel, who was the head of Mir Yeshiva for many years. And so he said that he was walking with him. One, he developed a relationship in some respect. He was walking with him to the Kotel once, and they were walking together. And as they were walking down, if I remember the way he tells it, people... If not, it's my imagination. People were coming for berachot and questions, and Rabbi Finkel had Parkinson's, so they were probably walking very slowly. Many people, I'm sure hordes of people, probably pictures and things of all that sort and whatever. And as they're walking closer and closer and things are progressing, but slowly they get about 10, 15 feet away from the kotel, and Howard Schultz uh, starts moving forward. He thought they were going to pray right next to the wall, and Rabbi Finkel stops in his place. And so he, says, he thought maybe it was, my, again, my imagination. He thought maybe it was 
was the Parkinson's. So he waited a little, and then he tugged at him a little, tried to get him to go a little bit further, and he wouldn't budge. And he said, Rabbi, is everything okay? What's the story? Is it something that's... He said, you can go forward. He said, I've never been further than this. I'm not worthy. And that's that line. Howard Schultz was writing it as he was trying to run for president of the United States to say that a true leader needs to be imbued with a certain vision that I'm not worthy. Who am I? Give it to the other person. But I think it's, it, I think it's, it is the story of Avraham as well. I think Avraham, a great name, so to speak, is achieved through others giving you a great name. You're not going to give yourself a great name. Moshe through and through as well. The truth is, in the story of Moshe, you find it with a leadership as in, in, in which Moshe might really appreciate the story of Eldad de Medad. I've always felt that way in the telling of the rabbis. Eldad de Medad and Parashat Behalotecha has the same. That's usually when I tell this story. Eldad de Medad have this um, the other story. Now I can add the Rabbi Lichtenstein story. But Eldad de Medad, according to the rabbis, telling are this part of the seventy Zekenim who are chosen to be like this first Sanhedrin, the first Supreme Court, and they. They don't come together with everyone for the drawing of lots. And the Gemara's description, the rabbis getting into the mind of Vildad Medad, is, we're not worthy of this. Who are we? And so Moshe's reaction to that moment, as I read it, in turn, those are the perfect leaders. That's the people we need. We have, yes, I'm designating, but they're even imbued with a humility to the extent that they say, well, who am I? I'm like Avraham said, Anochi Afar Va'efer. The description, I think, is so telling, and I think it's so real with people who have achieved a lot. And it's an I Go ahead. But, I mean, I'm giving them a lot of credit. It's also the nature of them, the way So do I think, so you're saying some people have it inborn and to expect this of everyone is, is hard to expect. I hear you. I hear you. I, I hear you. And so maybe, in other words, you're saying it was something inborn. At the same time, though, personally, I've met a lot of people in life who have inspired me specifically th from their story. In other words, they come from a state in which they were extremely successful in the traditional sense, and then through some inspiration of, uh, well, maybe I want to search for something more, are able to humble themselves and search for more. So I hear you, I'm, I'm with you. I think there is a certain personality. I think some people are more innately <laughs> humble. I think for Avraham, though, uh, keep in mind, if we give the rabbinic version of what happened over here, Avraham is thrown into a furnace because he's defying Nimrod. This is the rabbinic version, right? That's what precedes 75 years old. He's doing pretty well. He lived through being thrown into a furnace and walked out unscathed to, while, according to the rabbis, his uncle dies in the same furnace. I mean, you can really let that go to your head. I mean, even if you have it innately and part of who you are, I think alternatively, he's just a person, yes, who's unique, but he's a person who realizes, and this is another point I make all the time, because it fits the mold. I'm very drawn to Avraham, it's my namesake. I'm very drawn to him, and it fits his mold perfectly. Avraham's life is the other, the other with a capital O and, a capital, and the, the other with a lowercase O. He's paying attention to people constantly, and he's paying attention to God constantly. And there's no contradiction, because neither one is him because Avraham's great name is achieved through seeing it in others. That's who Avraham is. 
you're right. I, I hear you. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm o- overdoing his praise and saying that he was, you know, maybe he just had this in board. Maybe Moshe did. But alternatively, we can be inspired by it. Alternatively, okay, of course. I actually heard a definition of humility, which actually completely contradicts like what you're saying, uh-huh. which is basically that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's knowing. But not saying. Junie, I'm not contradicting that. I'm certainly agreeing with that. I'm saying at the same time, since I'm looking outside of myself, I therefore have humility, since there's so much for me to grow from outside of myself, because I have these growth opportunities, because I'm uncomfortable and put myself in those uncomfortable situations. It's, if you don't have a self-confidence, your statement of I'm not worthy is unhealthy. It's not good. That's not humility. That's depression. That's anxiety. That's not the point. I, I completely agree with that. I think, in short, I, I mean, just to give you one last vignette, maybe, you know, maybe a cherry on top, um, in terms of names and in terms of this reference and thought throughout over here, it's um, in the middle of the parasha when Avraham finishes um, in this battle, there's an individual named Malkitzedek who comes to him. And Malkitzedek brings him bread and wine and starts speaking about God's greatness. And in that moment, Avraham echoes it and speaks about God's greatness. I say this with a big smile on my face, but I am inspired by this thought today. Rashi says, who was Malkitzedek? According to the Midrash, he was none other than Shem ben Noah. If you couldn't find every story in the parasha coming back to a name, I think Rashi did it for us. It's Shem ben Noah. In the moment where it's it's looking outside of myself in the moment where it's taking the physical world and dedicating it to God and saying, I'm looking outside of myself. It had to be someone with the name Shem Ben Noah, the achievement of name. I think the Torah again and again reminds us through Parashat Lech Lecha is not in the traditional sense of how you and I would maybe imagine it. We'd say, you want to be successful, you want to have a great name, find a situation, find the mode, find something. I remember it being a conversation with my wife early on when we were trying to make a match between people. Uh, this is uh, it's not the greatest story, but uh, not the greatest story for demonstrating it, but it comes to mind. So she was asking me about a guy that I knew. She said, so describe him. Is he like this or is he like that? As I, I don't do that. She's like, come on, do it with me. Is he, does he like that? I was like, I, I really can't do that. And I'm not, I'm, maybe, maybe I'm losing my own name over here, but I, I, I think that telling, that moment, I mean, she can't any longer either. I, we've been married too long, but I mean, that sort of per, 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 perspective on it, you, you can't, Abraham's, Abraham can't be boxed into something. The Torah is, is cautioning us against that. It says the more you find yourself just looking over your shoulder to be like the other, the more you're losing any distinct greatness that you could have. And in turn, the more you look outside of yourself, I think it gets coupled, those are the two messages together, the more humility that you do naturally grow. So greatness in turn, great name is, ironically, go ahead, running from stability and in turn embracing vulnerability in a sentence. Sure. 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 For sure. So Grace's suggestion in turn goes as follows. 
We've done this, I'm consistent at least, we've done this in Megillat Esther. In Megillat Esther, there's this unnecessary mention of names and names and more names. There are the names of all the advisors and the names of all of Haman's children. And the name, there are tons of them. We went through all the names and yet, Esther, what's her name? Not sure. Is it Esther or is it Hadassah? And even if it's Esther, what does that mean? Seter. There's so little name and reference to who the main players are, and so many of the significant moments are shrouded from name. God's name, of course, is not mentioned. It's Revach Vatzalah because the vision of Megillat Esther much like, I guess, our lives, is that the more we seek, over there it's prominence through the external, but I guess we can make it similar, because I do think Shushan was similar in this respect to the way it's told to this society. The more you assume greatness will come through attaching to the external, through just enmeshing yourself in it, through just saying, well, this is what is greatness, let me define myself that way, the less it'll actually be significant. Sure, Sure, you might make a lot of money. Absolutely, you might actually be on the tongue of many people in a positive sense. But in the true sense of a shemecha, you won't achieve that. In authenticating yourself, you won't get there. Go ahead. I just finished a book on Victor Frank of Man's Hershey. He's not a rabbi, but he was in the Holocaust and he had such a nice approach the whole Time and it's, I mean, sure, it's similar. Um, Viktor Frankl, who was no rabbi, nor a religious Jew, but a Jew, and survived the Holocaust and had a tragic loss of his wife and child, but his perspective throughout is to search for meaning in every situation. And in turn, I guess it's in that respect the same in this, in other words, his, his claim was, don't ask why you're in this situation, find the meaning within it. So he was able to, in every situation, find meaning. It's about searching for the next challenge. It's about making each moment an authenticating moment where I can, in turn, grow. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I wonder if that, um, this is the reason why he's that really like, been around for For sure. In other words, the exile, ironically, of Jews was our blessing in disguise. To put it in different words, ironically in this respect as well, that same Migdal Bavel, ultimately speaking, is known as Bavel. That's the blessing at the end. And we, in terms of our growth as a people, even though we don't remember it this way any longer, much of it took place in Bavel. Torah Peh, the Gemara, was constructed in Bavel. We had strongest communities in a place called Bavel over the course of several hundred years. There's no irony in that. It was exile. There were people in Israel at the time. People in Israel a lot more stable. People in Israel were not as movement prone and less uh, nervous about their surroundings and less uh, alert to that constant growth. I couldn't agree anymore. I do believe that Sometimes in the physical sense, other times in the psychological, emotional sense. The more we move, the more we continuously search and seek, the more we grow. We say it in English, don't we? We talk about thinking on your feet, first and foremost, but we also talk about arriving at an answer. You arrive at an answer, it means you had a journey to that answer. You didn't just have an answer, I mean, maybe you did as well, but you arrive at an answer. 
I, I, I think there's no question. I, I, I mentioned once that there's a, um, there's a strong liberal academic in Israel who counters the notion, not, not your point, but rather that Jews are smarter because of all the Nobel Prize winners. And so he suggests, he says, listen, it's not that we're smart, it's that we didn't have the opportunity to be involved in other commercial activity, so we focused instead on the brain stuff. In other words, we, but it's the same point. I have no problem with him. So, so we're the same, but we overachieved because we had to, because we couldn't do the other things, so we found challenges within what we could. And in turn, we grew in that context, as opposed to just becoming embedded and enmeshed in the commercial or whatever activity it was that defined success. Yeah, I think the Avraham Ha'ivri, to call him that again, I think is the paradigm of it all. Avraham Ha'ivri and the description of the rabbis, again, of him being Ivri, everyone's on one side of the river and he's on the other. That describes who he is. He's throughout his life separating from people. Every time he tries to include someone, they're taken away from him. It's almost a message to him. You're not going to have easy stability, not with Lot, not with Yishma, not even with Yitzchak, your life is going to be one in which you're constantly seeking, searching for an individual, unique perspective. I think the lesson is pretty clear to each of us. I think that we as human beings fall prey to the securities of life. I feel good in this situation. Things are going well over here. Everyone's doing this and it seems right and everyone else seems to be growing in such a fashion. Let me just jump into that. The Avraham El Ha'aretz Asher Areka, the Avraham Va'agadela Shemecha, ironically is, will run away from that. Not easy, not simple, we won't always do it. I think it's the mission. I think it's what we're supposed to be searching and seeking to do.